morning, everyone. Once again, for those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Bob Menser, and I am one of the teaching elders here. Uh, and so I'd like to welcome you, and uh, to everybody out there in internet land, I would say hello also. Um, we are going to begin a two-part series, uh, and I'll get to the name of that in just a minute. But first of all, I just wanted to test your knowledge. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when you were in high school, you went over this, and so I, most of you probably do know who John Hanning Speak is. Um, if you don't know who he is, raise your hand. Oh, well, that's going to change everything. We're going to change the name of the, the uh, we're going to move to a different title. Okay, uh, how about this guy? I'm Richard Francis Burton. Were you guys sleeping in high school? Well, yeah, you probably were. Well, both these gentlemen, and by the way, I didn't know who they were till three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Both these gentlemen are from England. And in the year of our Lord, 1855, the Royal Geography Society of England had this burning desire to know where the Nile began, the River Nile. No Europeans had any idea what and where it began. And so both of these gentlemen were commissioned to set out on an expedition to find the source of the Nile. They landed on the Horn of Africa, and within three days or four days, they were attacked by local tribesmen. Uh, Speak was wounded and captured, um, and the account says that Richard Burton was... Uh, stabbed in both cheeks. Now, I don't know whether he got it, whether he was running from them and he got stabbed or what, but he got stabbed in both cheeks. Uh, and they turned tail and headed back for England. Oh, it took a long time, didn't it? <sighs> they arrived back in England. Failure. But the society says, no, we want to send you again. Are you willing to go? Well, they drew the short straw and said, yeah, they were willing to go again. So on the second attempt, they don't land in the same place, and they begin to make their way into uh, the central part of Africa. Now on the way, Speak becomes so ill that he is blinded. And they have to carry him uh, and, and guide him as they go along. As they proceed, his sight comes back, but then both he and Burton come down with malaria. They are bed-stricken. Their uh, load-bearers abandon them. The cooks 
abandoned them, and there is just a, a skeleton crew. Speak recovers ahead of um, Burton. So I'll, oop, I'll put him back up here so we all know who we're talking about. And he decides that he is going to press on. And so he begins making his way. And he discovers, after days and days and days of traversing very difficult territory, he comes upon this lake, this huge lake, which he names... Victoria, after the queen. Now, I want to tell you how big the lake is. The lake is about 200 miles long. It is 26,000 square miles. And he is convinced that he needs to explore this lake to see whether he can come to the source because he's got this gut feeling that somewhere out of this lake, the beginning of the Nile occurs. He discovers a fall, a waterfall. And in that waterfall, he names the waterfall Rapon Falls, and he happens to be in Uganda at the time, because don't forget, this is a huge lake. And it is the very source of the Nile River. It is the beginning. Well, he's thrilled. And I just want to tell you a little bit about the Nile River. The Nile River at its widest point is 1.7 miles. It is 4,160 miles long. It borders 10 African countries. And it's the second largest river in the world. And he returns to England saying, I have discovered the source of the Nile. Well, you may say to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, I want to introduce you to another individual. And you might know him from the scriptures, and his name is Ezekiel. And he has this vision. He has a lot of visions, but the one I'm talking about is from Ezekiel 47, and I'm going to take a second and read through it. And he has this angel giving him a, a guided tour. And he says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, and from the right side of the house, and from the south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside, to the outer gate, uh, by the way of the gate that faces east. All that has significance in some fashion. We're not going to go there. And behold, water. There's water coming out of this house, this throne. And when the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured it a thousand cubits. And he led me through the water. And the water was reaching my ankles. And again he measured a thousand. And he led me through the water. And the water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand. And led me through the water. And water was reaching the loins. And again he measured a thousand. And it was a river that could not, I could not ford. For the water had risen. Enough water to swim in. 
a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on one side and on the other. And then he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the desert. And they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. And it will come about that every living creature that swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish. And for many waters for, uh, go there. And, it, um, and others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Now our brother read from Revelation today. And John happens to see the same river when he is being shown around the heavenly throne room. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." What is this river? There's a source. It's coming from the throne. It's coming from, it's coming from God. It's coming from the Lamb. What is this source? It's flowing out. Well, Matthew Henry says that the source of this is, in his opinion, the church. And everything that comes into the church has life. And others say, no, that river is, is the Spirit of God going forth, and it's pouring out life. And still others say, no, this river that's going out, it's the Word of God, and everyone who encounters this Word of God finds life. And one of the things that has always spoken to me about this is I thought it was significant that they start talking about how deep this water is. And I think that there are those of us who find this water and we wade into the ankles and we can be very content there because it's life. And yet there are others who say, no, I want to go in deeper into this water. And so they go into the knees. And still others say, oh, no, this water, this water that's flowing from the throne, I want more of it. And they go into the loins. And yet, there are still those who say, water, I want to swim in this water. I want to swim. I don't want it just to be my ankles or my knees or my loins. I want to swim in this water. And the psalmist did not leave us without thinking about this. In Psalm 66, he writes, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Water. Water. You know, we live in a very civilized society, 
where if we want water, what do we do? Turn on the tap and there it is. Water pours out and we don't think two cents about it. Unless, of course, you're in uh, East Palestine where there's been a train wreck and oh, these chemicals. Or if you live in my house. See, at my house we have a, a well and when we lose the electricity, we lose the water. And uh, so we have this thing, you know, when, when we lose electricity occasionally and I would say, oh, we lost electricity. Psh, no flushing the toilets. Don't turn on the tap because there's just a trickle there. Water. And when we look, begin to look at the Bible, the Bible has so much to tell us about water. And it uses symbolism and metaphors and imagery and examples. And there's, there's rivers and it talks about seas and it talks about streams. And these are not insignificant. They're trying to teach us something. You know, from a Middle Eastern perspective, in the times that this was written, water is precious. Water is precious. It is life. You don't cross the desert without water. You find streams. One of the accounts when they were coming out of uh, Egypt, I always found this really uh, interesting. It says, we came upon this oasis and there were 70 palm trees and 12 springs. Well, wait a minute. Why 70 and 12? What's significant about that? And so the Bible says, I want you to take you into deeper when I'm explaining these things. And so when we start talking about water, it's life to us. And so the title of today's message is Living Water. What do you seek? And I want to give you a couple of examples of what I was talking about. How important water is in this whole imagery, this, this symbolism and when you start to think about water in the Bible, what's the first thing that you may think about? Don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. I'm afraid you're going to give me the wrong answer. Well, for me, it goes back to Genesis. And in Genesis 7, it said, And the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water, and the water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. See, we have this picture of water. And God is taking water, and he's covering the earth. He's cleansing it. And he's allowing this family, this one family, Noah and his family to pass through these waters. And when these waters recede, Noah comes out into an entirely different world. It's a new life for him. The old way is past. There's a new way. Or take, for example, Exodus 14. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You see the picture, passing through the waters. And they were passing out of slavery into freedom. And the Bible's trying to tell us something about waters. You see, we pass through waters. We, we'll get to that. Um, let me go to Joshua. And the priest who carried the ark 
of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. And see, when they were coming out of the wilderness and going into the promised land, what happened? They struck the water and they went through on dry ground. There's a picture here. Oh, what are they trying to get through to me? I don't know. But I saw it with Noah. And, now I, now I, and I saw it with Moses. And now I see it with the tribe of Israel. And, and they're going into the promised land. And it's always they strike the water and they pass through. Scripture's filled with this kind of stuff. Second Kings. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there. So that the two of them, and this is Elisha and Elijah. Elijah and, I want to say Elisha. Elisha. <laughs> and it is, I think it's pronounced Elisha. No, no. Uh, yeah, thank you. Whatever. And the two of them crossed on dry ground. Elijah was going to be taken up. He knew that. He crossed. He said, oh, split the water and crossed and What's the picture? What's God trying to show us? From 2 Kings 2, 14. And he took the mantle of Elijah, this is Elisha, and fell on him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Israel? And when he also struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Elisha was crossing into being the prophet of Israel into a whole new ministry. Wow, I'm getting a lot of pictures of water here. Well, what about this one? And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you have not been baptized... You need to be baptized because it's a symbolic representation of you not only dying with him, but passing through the waters and coming up into a new life. Water symbolizing a breakthrough, a leaving of the old and a coming into the new. Hallelujah. All here in your Bible. Well, the Bible talks about troubled waters. What are troubled waters? I mean, well, what do you think they are? Psalm 69, 1 and 2 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. Now, do you think this, uh, the psalmist here was, just got into the lake a little too deep? Or is he telling us something? You know, so often in this life, we will come across deep waters, troubling waters, waters that threaten my life. These are circumstances. And the cry here is, save me, God. These, these, this imagery of this water coming over me. 
how troublesome. Save me out of these deep waters. The psalmist also says in 144, stretch forth your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, out of the hands of aliens who, whose mouth speak deceit and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. See, sometimes these pictures of waters Tell us about our circumstances. Oh, Lord, save me out of these waters, these troubling waters. And from Psalm 18, and he sent me from on high, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. So many times we are given pictures in Scripture that we need to understand that it's a metaphor. It's a representation of something that I can, I can lay hold of and then make a connection between the two. In Isaiah 43, I heard this in a song the other day. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers will not overflow you, when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. God is trying to tell us things. Listen, when these waters try to overcome you, who do you reach to? When you walk through them, I will be there. I am your God. interesting passage here from Exodus once again dealing with waters and see whether you can pick up the imagery here Exodus 15 22 to 25 and Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water and when they came to Marah they could not drink the water of Marah for they were bitter therefore it was named Marah So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. A tree? A tree? He threw a tree into the waters, and they changed from bitter to sweet? Remember the tree of Christ, the cross of Christ, and how it makes the waters, the life, the bitter waters of life, sometimes changes it to be so sweet, so drinkable. Oh, I'm starting to get thirsty talking about that. Everybody, take your water. Yep, up we go. Mm. Okay, I'm ready to go for the next two hours now. One last one. This one's going to be troubling. Genesis 1 1 and 2. That's really our first encounter with waters. And in the beginning, God created heavens and earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Wait a minute. Where did these waters come from? And God is saying, it was in chaos. Everything was chaos. There was no order. And God suddenly takes, and he says, I'm going to put order to all of this. And he creates the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sun and the moon and the animals and the fish. And he puts order to the chaos. And again, these are like troubled waters. It's, it's chaotic. And the Spirit of God moves across the waters. Well, that was your introduction. Now, we come to the festival. In the Old Testament, and just an aside, the Old Testament gives us so much information that we need in order to help us as we walk in the New Testament. There are seven convocations, seven festivals that were required. One of these festivals was called Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles. And it was held at the end of the growing season. And it was to be a celebration, and it's sometimes called the Festival of Tabernacles. You also see it called the Festival of Booths, uh, sometimes called the Festival of Ingathering, um, and sometimes called the Festival of sh uh, Shelters. But what they were required to do is it's a seven-day party. That's basically what it is. For seven days you will rejoice because you've brought in the grain, you've brought in your fruit, you are done. And it's time to celebrate. And so um, what they were required to do as a reminder of their days in the wilderness is they were to take and construct a little shelter for themselves out of poles, and they were supposed to put certain leaves on it, palm leaves, willow leaves, all having significance, but we're not going there right now. And they were to live there in those seven days as a reminder of um, the wilderness journey and how God had brought them through the wilderness. And one of the parts of this festival is that each day the high priest would take a pitcher, silver pitcher, and he would go down to the, um, the pool of shalom, pool of peace, and he would dip the pitcher in the water and he would carry it back towards the temple. And of course, everybody was watching. They were all singing. Um, and uh, Judah, I'll go through the, what, how this all works first and then I'll get to the point. Uh, now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year and it shall be a perpetual statu statute throughout your generations and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall live in booths for seven days 
All the native born in Israel shall live in booze, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times. We also have this account in Deuteronomy. And you shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who's your town. Everybody! It's a party! A seven-day party! Yeah. And every day, the priest goes down with this pitcher because there's a significance. Remember when they were coming through the wilderness? They didn't have water. And at Myra, the water was bitter. But no, we threw this tree in and we all drank. Seven days you shall celebrate the feast of your Lord in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and all the work of your hands so that you shall be altogether joyful. Now, last week, Judah used this scripture, but the context of this particular scripture, and I don't know the melody, is that when the pitcher or when the uh, priest went down and got the pitcher, they would come back with him singing this song. Don't know, hear the words, obviously, from Isaiah, but not the melody. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And they would sing this because he had pulled the water out of the pool of peace. Well, you know who shows up at one of these celebrations. Yeah, him. And in John 7, 37, 40, it says, Now it was the last day, the great day of the feast. This is the Feast of the Tabernacles. And Jesus stood out saying, hey, here's the picture of the water. And they had taken this water back and they had poured it over the altar. And they'd done that for six days. And this is the last day. This is the great day, all rejoicing, all singing. And he, in his voice, says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Wow. What a claim. What a claim he's making. If you believe in him, out of you will flow water. Living water. Now John writing here, almost as if he's whispering here, ah, but, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit has not yet been given, because Jesus wasn't glorified. He's letting you know what Jesus is talking about here. This is about the Spirit. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. As the scriptures have said, 
What? I don't remember that reading that. Well, uh, yeah, let's look at that. In Zechariah 14, 8. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. Where was the Holy Spirit poured out? In Jerusalem. And I think this is so neat. Half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea. There's going to be a distribution. They're going to take this living water and they are going to go from the east to the west. From the north to the south. They're going to carry this water out and it doesn't matter. It's going to be all the time, whether it's winter or summer. And you, you are filled with this living water. Filled with the Spirit. Isaiah also tells us the same thing. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. And this one will say, I belong to the Lord. And that one will cry out, in the name of Israel, in the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, I belong to the Lord. And it will be an honor. And Joel, of course. And it will come about in that day that the mountains will drip sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. These are all pictures. We're not going to deal with wine and milk right now. And we're dealing with water. And all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. And a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. Mm. That river that flows from the throne of God. And there are those of us who say, I am filled to the end. I'm filled to the knees. I'm filled to the loins. I want to swim in this. I want to swim in this living water. Well, as you may recall, a long time ago, I told you the title of this was Living Water. What are you seeking? And this passage comes from 1 John, or not from 1 John, from John chapter 1. And it's uh, verses 35 to 39. And the next day John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Now we think that this is John. That's an assumption, but we think it's John and we know it's Andrew. And Jesus turned around and beheld them following and he said, what do you seek? What do you want? Now what's important to me here anyway is the question. It's not who, it's what. What do you seek? You know, and that's a question that I've wrestled with myself for the last since I started on this particular teaching. What do I seek? You know? You know, I could 
poll you and you'd all give me this nice religious answer. But, you know, do I seek, do I seek to have my bills paid? Do I seek to have the kids quit fighting? What do I want? I want a better relationship with my spouse, my family. I want a better car. I have to push mine to get us started. That's what I want. You know, and when Jesus poses this question to them, you know, what do they, you know, what do they want? You know, I'm thinking, they just heard that he's the Lamb of God. Uh, you are the one who is going to set us free from the tyranny of Rome. That's what I want. I want to learn the scriptures better. What do you want? Oh, that's a tough question. You know, we're all ready for the rig, real religious answer, but in reality, oh, what do I want? You know, most of us, if we really were pressed, we'd say, I just want to be happy. That's all I want. I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I'm not happy now. But this question's much deeper than that. And they always made fun of their answer. You know, ah, what are you going to say to this guy? I don't know. What do you say, John? Say something. He's asking us a question. Ah, uh, hey, where are you staying? <laughs> where are you staying? But it's a deeper answer than that. Where are, where are you staying, Lord? And he says, you want to know? You need to come with me. Ooh. I'm not sure that's what I want. I really want to, I don't mind following you, but I don't, I'm okay with the water to my ankles, but I don't think I, you know, what do you want from me? What do you want? Well, you know, we have a, an answer to that a couple of times in Scripture, and, I, uh, and this is not a setup, but in Second Chronicles, God asked that question of Solomon. And in the night, this is Second Chronicles 1, 7 to 10, and in the night God appears to Solomon and said to him, Ask! Ask me, and I'll give it to you. Wow. What would you ask for? Well, Solomon said to God, Thou hast dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and hast made me king in this place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled and you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule this great people of And God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches or wealth or honor or life for those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge and that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And, and, because you asked the you answered rightly i will give you riches and wealth and honor so as none of the kings who were before you have possessed 
and nor any of those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place which he was in Gibeon, from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned. What do you ask for? I just want my bills paid. That's all I want. What do we ask for? This is a, an interesting story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. So I'm making no, I'm making, giving you a disclaimer right there. But it's a great story. Uh, George Washington Carver, whether you know, remember who he was or not, you may or may not, this guy you may have heard of. Uh, control yourself, okay? He was born a slave, born in 1863. Um, and he actually belonged to a caring slave-owning family. And they, almost, they treated him almost as if they were his own child. Uh, and he grew up, um, and his aspirations were to become a piano teacher and an art teacher. Uh, and he finally went to college, uh, and they discovered that he had this great talent for uh, uh, botany and plants, and so he kind of steered him in that direction. But when he was much younger, story goes that he's laying out in this meadow at, in, the dark, in, the, in, the, in the night, and he's looking up at the stars, and he says, God Teach me the secrets of the universe. I want to know the secrets of the universe. And God said to him, Oh, that won't do, George. How about I teach you the secrets of the peanut? And George Washington Carver goes on to find 300 different industrial and chemical uses of the peanut. All different out of the peanut. What do you ask for? You ask, James tells us, and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask for yourself. See, if you're following Jesus and he turns around and he says to you, what are you after? What are you going to say? How about an oceanfront house? South Carolina? How about a Rolls Royce so it can drive around Indiana in a Rolls Royce? Yeah. What are you going to ask for? I don't have that answer. But I personally, I've been wrestling with that. If God were to say to me, what do you want? I'm, oh, well, you know, I'm not going not gonna to try and give him an answer. That, like Solomon, you know, try and slip one over on God. From John 4, and we're almost out of time. Jesus answered and said to her, this is the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him 
He'll never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Oh, you know what she wanted. Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor have to come all the way here to draw. Oh, give me this water. I want this water. I don't want it to my ankles. I don't want it to my knees. I don't want it to my loins. I want to swim in this water. Psalm 63. Oh, God, you are my God. I seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want this living water. That's what I want, Lord. Well, oh, there's my guy again. You know, sometimes when you're headed to the source, you encounter problems. Sometimes you're attacked, and you never make it to the source. Or sometimes you're wounded, or you may be captured, or sometimes you're blinded, or sometimes you're sick. But speak was persistent. I'll go back. I know where I'm going to find. I'm going to the source. I'm going to the living water. I'm going there. And nothing is going to stop me. Because I want to drink that water. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What do you seek? I seek the living water. I want that, Lord. Come. I'll show it to you. Amen. Amen.